and welcome to the Growth Tribe Podcast, where we're all about growing ourselves to create lives we effing love on our terms. I'm Ellen, and I'm a former biomedical researcher turned coach who fell in love with personal growth when it empowered me to transform my health, quit my PhD, travel the world, and start my own business. But do not get me wrong, I'm still figuring my shit out too, and I'm so pumped to share what I'm learning along the way. We've got amazing interviews, big stories, tips, tricks, and no bullshit action steps that we can all learn from. So with that, welcome to this episode of The Growth Drive. Today's episode is brought to you by The Growth Tribe Academy. If you are an avid Growth Tribe listener, then girl, you've got to check out The Growth Tribe Academy. In the Academy, we're putting all the tools and resources you need to take your growth to the next level, all in one convenient space. You'll get access each month to a growing library of personal growth content. Basically, Netflix for personal growth. You'll get video content, monthly live coaching, and of course, a community of growth-oriented peeps to support you all for a super affordable monthly price. Because my goal is to make this stuff accessible AF. We cover everything from setting better boundaries, healthy living, habits, self-compassion, values, and so much more. If you want some more information, go ahead and check out the show notes at coachellen.com slash podcast. With that, let's get into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Growth Tribe podcast. I'm so freaking pumped because today we have another absolutely unbelievable interview. Like, I hope you guys have been loving the recent interviews. I've been connecting with so many incredible women and today's interview is no exception Today we have Stephanie McCullough coming on the podcast and she is talking about a sensitive topic, but nonetheless, an important topic. We are talking all about money. And when we originally connected, Stephanie said, you know, she's like, I want to talk about money because it's such an area of shame and blame in our culture, particularly for women. And she really wanted to address that and demonstrate to all of us women, all of us millennials, because she's got a daughter who's a millennial. She's got lots of clients who are millennials so that we can feel in control of our finances, because as she says, a woman who controls her finances can control her future. So in today's episode, she's really giving us all sorts of tangible tips, tangible tools, and ways for us to stay on top of our finances, stay in control of our finances and our futures so that we can create better lives. Finances are a part of that. I really, and you guys are probably starting to see this in these recent interviews, I really feel like so much of my personal growth and my perspective on it is it's all holistic. It all ties together. I don't believe you can focus on just career or just health or just, you know, mindset even because all of these things play into the pieces of the puzzle. And today we are really diving into a piece that I've never talked about before. We're diving into finances and money and we are in some damn good hands doing it because Stephanie is she's a longtime financial planner and financial advisor she's been working as a financial advisor for 14 years and she really her goal is to empower women to make wise financial decisions so with that I'm gonna shut up and let Stephanie take over and give you guys all of her incredible insights in how we can level up our money mindset and really find power and empowerment in our financial situation so with that let's get into it Stephanie I'm so excited to have you here on the growth tribe podcast welcome thank you Ellen I'm thrilled to be here we're gonna have a a fun but like needed conversation today I feel like about money and finances and kind of how we can approach it and how we can kind of overcome some of the shame and blame as you mentioned from those experiences so to kick things off could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you found yourself in this field with this mission to empower people through their finances yeah it's kind of a circuitous route I guess you know it it, Like your career makes sense when you look backwards, but looking forwards, you would never imagine you'd end up where you end up, uh, as you know. Um, So I became a financial advisor 22 years ago now. It was a career change for me. Um, My husband and I were thinking, oh, it might be nice to have kids. We were living in Washington, D.C. at the time. We both grew up outside of Philadelphia. And then he got a job offer. 
because we were like, oh, it'd be nice to be near the grandparents. We should move back to Philly. He got a job offer. And I'm like, shoot, what the heck am I going to do? Because I have, I have a master's in international economics and I was working for the federal government and then for a French telecommunications company, like totally different stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh. of a transition, yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, maybe I can work with my dad because my father has been a financial advisor, insurance guy, you know, since longer than I've been on the planet. And I grew up <laughs> not wanting to do what he did. Like, you know, affirmatively thinking there's no way I want to do this. Uh-huh. And then I got out in the real world. I'm like, huh, you know, that stuff he does that it actually it's pretty applicable. Um, whether it's, you know, kind of corporate benefits and figuring out retirement plans or, you know, one-on-one. So I made this whole proposal to my dad, like, Oh, what if I joined you and, and tried to sell your stuff to my contacts in the other world? And <laughs> like, all he had to hear was, you know, like kind of, you had me at hello, right? He's like, one of my kids is interested in the business. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's fair though, because I feel like we grow up kind of going, I mean, I went to take your daughter to work day with my mom when I was younger. Um, and I left her, her work that day, just going, I could never do <laughs> like the highlight of my day was animating her PowerPoint presentation. I was bored to tears. <laughs> and my dad's such a sales guy and I'm not like that part turns me off completely. So I was like, Oh, if I'm not like him, I can't do this work. Mm-hmm. So, so I started 22 years ago and I kind of still had that crisis, right? Luckily he had enough kind of retirement plan clients where I didn't have to be out there selling I think that's one reason there's so few women financial advisors because very often the route in is like pick up the phone, call everybody you've ever met and try to sell them something. Ah, cold calling. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. yeah, right? I would have lasted like 90 seconds. <laughs> um, but I could go into a lot of the retirement plans and do that like education and enrollment meetings and try to explain to people what was going on, hear their stories and make the money stuff, you know, fit with them. And that part I found really rewarding. Um, but I kind of still had this thing like, oh, because I can't do sales and because I'm not like that, like this is not the industry for me. So I actually worked with a coach. The first time I ever met a coach, I'm like, what is coaching? This was like you know, <laughs> 1999 or something. He's like, oh, it's great. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe it. So he said, do a free call. So I did like a free 20-minute call. And by the end, I'm begging. I'm like, I need to work with you. Please help me. Um, and we kind of like looked at all the different kinds of things I could do. And we circled back around to, you know what? There's a lot about this career that I find really rewarding. And I'm actually decent at a bunch of it, but maybe that I can do it a different way. Mm-hmm. So I did finally kind of find my tribe of people um, in the financial planning world who kind of had a different approach, very much, a, you know, connecting the money to what's most important to you. Tell me about your life and what you're trying to create, like the soft part of it, mm-hmm. the mushy stuff. It was almost like the no like trust factor that I mean, I hear about so much with social media, like you were doing that, but just in like a face to face context. Yeah, I think so. And realizing that like, you know, it's not all about picking the best stock or beating the market. Money touches all parts of our lives. Money is a very personal subject. People don't have a safe place to talk about it. So if I can create kind of that different money conversation, then I can do work that makes a real difference in the world people are willing to pay for, which is always good. And, you know, I find rewarding. So that's kind of like nine years ago, I hung out my shingle and, and formed my own practice that I call Sophia Financial. Sophia is Greek for wisdom. Um, I wondered what the name came from. Like, yeah. is there, like, I almost was like, is her first name actually Sophia? Like, <laughs> some people do that. They'll meet me and they're like, hi, Sophia. I'm like, no, it's Stephanie, but the company's Sophia. <laughs> Sophia with an F, not a PH. And then one of my friends also told me it's the ancient incarnation of feminine wisdom. I was like, ooh, that's good. Oh, yeah, I right? like that. Right? I know. I know. Um, so, yeah, my, my mission is really to, you know, to be very transparent, number one, about, like, what people are paying for and what they're getting, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, that's kind of a mystery sometimes in the industry, and really just to talk about what's most important to my clients and also to kind of try to demystify things, not had these investment minimums, like a lot of financial advisors won't talk to you unless you have a million dollars to invest with them. I hate that stuff. makes me angry. Um, so I've tried to, you know, design my menu of services to be really accessible and transparent and just kind of, you know, different. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where I am. I love that. And I love that you're, you're kind of coming from the perspective. I want to, I want to demystify it and I want to make it more personal because like you said, money is so personal. We all have, 
you know, our hangups around money. We all have the shame that we can experience around money. So what are some of the big things you've seen come up with your clients around that kind of personal and, and shame perspective when it comes to how we can approach money? Yeah, it's so fascinating. I mean, I feel like, you know, with so many parts of our lives, we've got these almost unconscious stories we're telling ourselves mm -hmm. about money, right? And very often it's connected to maybe what we saw growing up, whether it's how our parents handled money, whether they talked about it or they didn't, or they were arguing in the next room when they thought the kids were asleep, um, you know, or the whatever. It's so interesting, too. I'll talk, I always talk to my clients about the money messages they got growing up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll hear that, you know, maybe my client and her sibling grew up in the same atmosphere, seeing and hearing the same things and came out with very different approaches. One's a super saver and the other one spends every dollar that comes in the door, right? And then mm -hmm. some. So I don't think there's any like direct one-to-one -one correlation between, you know, what you heard growing up and, and where you take it to now. Mm -hmm. But I think there's value in doing some of that kind of self exploratory work like okay what did I see growing up what kind of messages about money did I absorb and are they affecting my behaviors today right mm -hmm. like is there some you know money's the root of all evil or rich people are, are necessarily bad or whatever mm -hmm. message there might be deep down I, I have one friend who's like deathly afraid of any currency above a $20 bill like she sees a $50 bill and like she kind of gets hives <laughs> You know, something's going on there that's probably hey. deeper than I can go, but I think just uh, actually that just reminded me of I was a kid and my dad had this old Ford pickup truck that he sold and the guy showed up at our house with 85 $100 bills that he hands to my dad and my dad thought it was so cool and he was like handing it off to my brother and I. So I, I was like 10 or 12 and I was awesome. thinking like, this is the most money in the world. Right. <laughs> Those early memories really can be kind of seminal and they start cementing, you know, mm -hmm. patterns even of our behavior. So I think it's, it's important to do a little bit of, you know, whether it's journaling or, or you know, finding a trusted friend you can talk to about it. That's kind of what I was going to ask is how, how do we uncover these things? Like, I feel like so many things journaling super, super helpful, but I know there are some people who are, they're not the biggest fans. Yeah. Of journaling. So what other uh, tips do you have to help people uncover what some of these money messages are for them? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the key to so many things is just to try to stop and notice, right? I mean, I know you've talked about this too in, in your messages before, right? Like we go on autopilot so much of the time, mm -hmm. you know, um, I'll go into a convenience store with my kids and I'll intend to buy two things and I come out spending $40. Like how did that happen? Right. It's like me every time I go into Target. <laughs> Oh, Target's so dangerous. I know. <laughs> but a lot of the times we're not even conscious mm -hmm. of what's going on. So I think, you know, the kind of that, that stopping and, and trying to take a pause. The other big part, I mean, you mentioned the shame and blame, right? I think, especially women, we beat ourselves up about this stuff, right? We mm -hmm. say, I should be better at it and I shouldn't be spending this. We should ourselves to death, right? Like we, yes. Should all over ourselves. Should um, all over ourselves. Yeah. We sh you know, I shouldn't have spent that much. I shouldn't have bought those shoes. Like, I think it's important to try to almost take a scientific, um, you know, observer perspective mm -hmm. and try to disconnect the, the shame stuff and say, oh, look, I went to Target and I spent $100 more than I meant to. Huh. What was going on there? Just yeah. noticing as opposed to blaming. Yeah, I feel like our first inclination with especially stuff around money is that we are like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. And it comes from the perspective of like our self-talk just starts yes. spinning out of control. And it's like, instead of doing that, what if we sat down and said, okay, why? Why did I do that? Like I spent, and I could beat myself up for this. I spent $79 yesterday, but what I spent it on was I was buying, I like to hike. I'm a big hiker. and I don't have a lot of hiking buddies around in my area. So I tend to hike a lot by myself. So I bought a packet of local maps so that when I hike, I can feel more secure and confident that I'm not going to get lost. Like it was a safety investment for me. Yeah. And That's I'm like, like very, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I spent $80 to be safer. 
and it's in alignment with your values, right? It's it's very much in you know in line with what you want your life to be and the things that bring you joy. Like there's no problem with that. I always tell people, I'm not going to judge where you spend your money, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to encourage you not to spend more than you have, mm-hmm. but care where it goes right that's totally up to you and your own values and the life that you want to live Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I love that um what's your perspective on debt for example because I feel like that's a big place where people can shame like if it's student debt you know I feel like we all can kind of understand that school is stupid expensive yeah nowadays But, like, when it comes to credit card debt, there were a lot of messages that I received growing up that, like, credit card debt is, like, the end-all, be-all, like, don't ever have credit card debt. That's, like, the ultimate mark of irresponsibility, almost, Yeah. as an adult. And for the majority of my life so far, I was terrified of having credit card debt. And then when I hired my first, like, like big-time coach last year, I made an investment that I essentially chose to go into debt. Yeah. Unfortunately, it spiraled a little bit because I lost my job partway through oh. that investment. Um, but like, I, I beat myself up a lot for it because I was just like, I've always prided myself on being responsible. And now all of a sudden, look at the situation I landed in. And kind of, it was almost like questioning my identity. It was like a weird spiral yeah. because of money. So like, what's your perspective on debt and how we can overcome some of the shame, I feel like, that's associated with having debt? Right, right. I think... You know, the first step is to try to look with judgment at your situation. I'm sorry, look without judgment at your situation today, right? Like what happened in the past, whatever happened in the past, right? You made a very conscious choice to do that. It was unfortunate that your income stopped along the way, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, that's, that's fine. The key is where, where am I today and what am I going to do going forward, right? Mm-hmm. I always say, like, we're not going to look back and, and bash ourselves for what happened in the past, Um, debt is really, it is tricky. And I think part of the problem is that all these messages we get, you know, we live in a consumer society. It's all Mm -hmm. about what you own and what you show and what you buy. So there's those messages, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. you, you'll be a happier person if you go to Hawaii, you know, you'll, you'll be a better person if your teeth are straight. So spend money on that. Or if your teeth are white or you, you know, pluck your eyebrows, whatever, or There's like as women and also like how you dress, like wear like wear clothes that like flatter you and blah blah blah. And I'm like, I'm perfectly comfortable. I'm wearing it right now in my yoga pants and my sweatshirt. Like, why do I need to spend money on nice yeah. pants clothes that are like high waisted pants and all of that in style crap? Like, right, yeah. right. But it's so easy to, you know, to to get caught in those things. And and you know they do make you happy, right? I mean, there's science about the brain that shows you get that dopamine hit when you push Mm -hmm. buy on Amazon. And then when the box comes and you unbox it, there's another excitement Mm -hmm. or, you know, then it might sit in the closet and never get used. But um, so that's part of the problem. And then there's a lot of uh, brain science, behavioral finance that shows that the human brain is wired to be bad at money. It's an incontrovertible fact. So when I speak to groups, I love to share that information because you can see the whole room just go, oh, it's not a character flaw that I got into some credit card debt? No. This is how we are wired. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's fascinating, and there's tons of research behind it. I want all of the books. (laughs) Like, tell me. And you can post them. Yeah, yeah. That's usually one of the questions I ask at the end is about resources, actually. So we'll have to talk about that because I I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. When you said it's not, I mean, you saw my reaction. I wish you guys could see my reaction. (laughs) Like, not a character flaw, but it's a fundamental part of human nature. Yes. I feel like all of a sudden, I felt like it was not like off the hook because there's still responsibility there, but I felt so much less bad. Yeah. Yeah, totally. There's this fascinating guy who teaches in um, one of the colleges out in California. It's terrible. I'm going to forget his name, but he talks about how everything we buy has three layers of value. There's the utilitarian value. So when I bought those red pumps at Nordstrom, yes, they protect my feet when I walk into the parking lot, right? They're utilitarian. Mm -hmm. There's also the emotional value, like 
how do I feel when I'm wearing the red pumps? I feel like a badass, right? I love those. Say, how do you feel when you're wearing the red pumps? My feet hurt. And as I get older, I can't really wear them very much. However, I do feel like a badass. But then there's also the expressive value. What do I think wearing those shoes says about me to you? Mm. Right? So I think it's interesting to think about those three layers of value. Like if there was only one layer of value, there would be like two kinds of car, right? There'd be a small car and a big car <laughs> as opposed to like all the different brands and all the different features. And, you know, so the marketers know all this stuff. They know how to play into it. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, kind of bringing some awareness to our actions and our activities can really help. Awareness without judgment, right? Like, oh, that's what I'm doing when I – you know, spend all that money at, you know, whatever it is, the Blue Mercury or, the, you know, the, the skincare store or mm -hmm. whatever. And we each have our own personal weaknesses, right? I mean, leakages sometimes I call them, right? The money in, money out, and there's these leakages. Money just kind of goes somewhere that we don't even mm -hmm. realize. Oh, I love that. Okay, so, so then we've got these leakages. I like that you pivoted into the leakages because I'm fully aware of what my leakages are because I am so growth-oriented. I will spend all of my money on online trainings, on books, on coaches periodically. Like I do have to rein that in because everything I want, I'm a sponge. I want to learn all the things. So it doesn't feel like a waste of money for me to spend stuff on, spend my money on that. But at some point I a, have to realize, okay, there's only so much of this I can consume at any given time. Yeah. And be like, how much is too much, you know, <laughs> like, um, so I'm aware of my leakages. So then what, um, I loved something that you said when you originally, um, when we originally got in contact about how a woman who controls her finances can control her future. So what are some of your tips for helping people develop more control and helping them get back um, and really to stay in control of their finances? Because I feel like we can get in control, but that can, control can be temporary. Oh, totally. It only takes a second, right? I mean, especially now with online purchasing, it takes like three clicks to blow your whole budget. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon. I'm in the Seattle area and Amazon's like my kryptonite. I actually had to block it on my, my browser for a period of time because it would be where I'd go to waste time too. It wasn't right. just a financial thing. It was like a time wasting thing. Yeah. Around me, there's a special, um, a wine importing store and they have this newsletter that comes out a couple times a week and they tell you about the you know, the vintner and where it's grown and this fabulous dinner they had. Click, click, click. I bought four bottles, right? Like, boom, done. That's kind of one of my leakages. It makes so me I, feel any better. My mom is a huge, like, wine snob and she calls herself that all the time. And she'll come back from a weekend away with, like, four cases. <laughs> if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> I mean, you know, they always get drunk in my house. It's not like, you know, they're going to get a waste. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But I think the first step, you know, in like practical tips is to kind of get clear on your values. Like, like you said, being outdoors and hiking is one of your values. Personal growth is another of your values, right? Mm -hmm. Like if everybody could, you know, kind of spend time on what is most important to them in life, what kind of life do you want to lead? What makes you happy? Um, really, it's about what do you want your money to do for you? Mm -hmm. Money's a, money's a tool. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I think especially as women, we see it as a tool. We don't see it as a, an, an end in itself, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's a means to getting something done in life, to keeping ourselves safe, to, you know, protecting our future, whatever it might be. Expressing um, ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Right. It's a tool. So what are the top things you want to make sure that it's doing for you? That's the first step. Like even apart from dollars and cents, mm -hmm. but then. And actually before you even go into the next one, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. Yeah. But like. I think so often just touching on values, so many of us think we know that what our values are, but when somebody's asked us to articulate them, we never have. Right. So I'm going to very, very shamelessly plug the fact that we covered this in the academy and you guys can go in and purchase that module as a one-off where oh, I cool. show you how to dig into what your values are and not even just what they are, but how you can live them and embody them in your day-to-day -day life. So nice. shameless plug for, from my end. That's Which I awesome. usually do during interviews, but no, I think you should because it is. I mean, you know, if you start with a blank piece of paper, it's kind of hard to. Hey, what are my values? You know, but I think a, some kind of exercise like that is super helpful. Mm -hmm. So then I think the next step is where does your money go? Right, like just looking month to month or you know each year, where did your dollars go? And try to disconnect the judgment and the shame blame thing. Just like, oh, I spent this many dollars eating out. Okay, I spent this many dollars on clothes. I spent this many dollars 
and then try to line them up with your values, right? And just to see, oh, I did spend most of my money on personal growth. Okay, that's all right. But then I spent a whole bunch of money on this other thing that's not that important to me. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, kind of why, what was going on there? Why did I do it? Oh, it was just easier or all my friends were doing it. So I went along or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I think that's the next step, right? Like where are the dollars going? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have um, one, one question around that. Cause there are probably a fair number of people who listen to this that are also, you know, coaches or small business owners, or maybe they're in network marketing or something like that. Yeah. What's your advice when you are a solopreneur or you're self-employed and a lot of your finances are going towards your business? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because often in that situation, your income is variable, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like you're getting a city paycheck every month or every couple of weeks. So I think the key there is to get super clear on your expenses, right? Like, and then there's different levels of expenses, right? Like what do you need bare bones to keep living and keep a roof mm-hmm. over your head, right? Like super minimal eating ramen noodles, like the bare bones of everything. Worst came to worst. How much do you need? Mm-hmm. And then like the next level is, okay, what's a comfortable living? And then maybe the top, next top level is, you know, okay, what would I like to be doing? And maybe there's different levels in between there, right? Everyone can kind of see, but I think the key is to know those differences. And then ideally when, um, you know, when you have a good month, or when you have some extra, you're socking away planning for those slow months. Because there's mm-hmm. always going to be times when, you know, the income that month is not going to meet your expenses. So you need to have that reserve so that you're not pulling on the credit cards or something else where banks are going to be making a heck of a lot of money off of you. Yeah. Right? That's kind of the ideal to get into that situation. A lot of people might not be starting there, but I think that's that's the goal, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of what, what you want to try to work towards. And very often if people are starting from a situation of debt and trying to work out of that, right. Again, like, you know, kind of measure your uh, progress from where you're starting, right. Mm-hmm. If you've got 20,000 credit card debt, getting to 17,000 in credit card debt is awesome, right. That's progress. Mm-hmm. And then if it goes backwards a little bit, okay, but you're just, you know, you're continuing on that upward trajectory. And I think realizing that maybe you've got to go through a period of being super frugal to get to that goal, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's often what it takes if, you know, the income is a certain amount and the debt's there, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, what can I cut back on for the next 10 months while I really knock off this debt? Mm-hmm. Knowing that whatever payments I'm putting towards the debt and whatever interest that bank is taking, mm-hmm. then I get that, put that money towards me, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the reward is that you can then put those dollars towards your future as opposed to towards your past. Mm-hmm. Like when you're paying credit card debt, you're paying for stuff you've already done. Yeah. So the money's going backwards instead of forwards in time. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I think that made me think of two things. Um, like from the context of getting really, really frugal, I know sometimes, particularly for millennials who are like into their thirties. I mean, you probably saw on my, my episode list that I just turned 30. Um, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think a lot of times we think of, if you have to take a step back and maybe being frugal means moving back in with your parents or family mm-hmm. and friends, you know, I live with my mom and dad. I'm not <laughs> subtle about the fact that I live with my mom and dad. And yeah, of course I want my own space. Like I would love to move out, but part of me being frugal right now and, you know, being able to savor the slow months in my business or being able to, you know, pay off the debt that I have, some of which is to them because they loaned me some money while I was traveling last year. Like, this is a, this was the necessary choice to make was living with them. And yeah, there are times that I have to like talk my th- myself through the whole, I've taken steps back in my life and I had to move back in with my mom and dad. And it's a conscious self-talk of not judging myself for that. Like it is a literally in my journal or sometimes just in my head, having a conversation with myself of like, don't judge yourself for this. It was a necessary step. Right. And then while you're taking that necessary step, I mean, somehow marking your progress, right? Like, okay, I had a thousand dollars in the bank and now I've got, yeah, whether it's an Excel spreadsheet or like a chart on the wall, whatever works for you, you know, those visual cues and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, celebrating the small wins, celebrating in a way that's not expensive, right? (laughs) You know, actually, Um, this is a random comment, but there's sometimes where I get in a mood where I'm just like, I want to spend money 
Yeah. Like I just get, I want to, I want to treat myself with a little thing. This is something I really found that helped when I was in grad school. Like talk about a time when you were trying to be really frugal. My favorite way to treat myself became going to like home goods or target and buying myself a really cute mug, like with a really fun saying on it. And they're like two, $3. Right. Right. It was like the easiest way to treat myself with something that I could then use. And yeah, sometimes it was like, I didn't like the fact that it was a thing and I was like collecting these goofy little mugs, but it was a way to fulfill that. That wasn't like bank breaking. And that took some stopping and pausing and thinking it through, right? Like, what do I really want here? I want a little treat. I want that, you know, that fun factor and something for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. How can I do that in a way that's less expensive? Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's, that's the other uh, important thing about getting clear on values, right? Because for some people, I've had clients who come in now, these are older clients, obviously later in their careers, but they're like, I really want to buy a beach house. Like that's my main goal. I want to buy a beach house. Okay. Why? Oh, I'm, I'm really want to be able to bring my grandkids down and create memories. That's the key, right? They want to create memories. Okay. Can we do that in a way that doesn't involve shelling out $300,000 for a beach house? Probably. Right. So when you're clear on the value then maybe you can find different ways to satisfy it that are more or less expensive. I love that. Like, so, cause I'm big on why I often talk uh, to my clients and sometimes on the podcast about like, figure out what your true why is and note to everybody, like your first inclination is probably not what your real why is. You're probably starting very surface level. Yeah. So like once you dig deeper, you might realize, Oh, it's cause I want to create memories with, my grandkids or like my future children or heck maybe it's my friends. Yeah. Like once you know that, then don't stop there and be like, okay, then I need to buy a place. Like maybe then it's like take the value and then brainstorm ways in which you can meet it. I'm talking with my hands massively right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's totally true. I think it's Danielle Laporte who talks about core desired feelings, which Mm. I really like, right. As opposed to like listing your financial goals, like, how do you want to feel in your life? Mm-hmm. And then there are multiple different ways to achieve that. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a random tangent, but I just thought of this. Like, how do you, or what advice do you have to people to work through comparison when it comes oh, to Oh, that's huge. Um, because I think that's where we trip ourselves up a lot, mm-hmm. right? Like, I can look in my neighborhood and I can see families, right? So my husband and I both work you know, one kid went to private school, one kid went to public school. Okay. There are families in our neighborhood where just one spouse works. There's three or four kids. They all go to private school and they go to the beach for the whole summer. And I'm like, how can they afford that when I can only afford this? Right. Mm -hmm. But what I'm doing is comparing their outsides with my insides. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I know what my bank account looks like. I know what's in my retirement plan. I have no idea what's going on with them. They Mm -hmm. could be, knee deep in credit card debt. They could be, you know, borrowing from their parents. Who knows what's going on? And yet all I see is the private school and they're going to the beach for the summer. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that comparison thing can totally trip us up. Right. We see Mm -hmm. people, especially in social media only makes it 20 times worse. Right. Mm -hmm. Everyone. I've even run into it with like friends of mine. Like I was talking to a friend of mine about how great it would be to make like six figures in a year. And we're the exact same age. And she kind of goes, oh, yeah, that's that's not my goal because it's super she's in the financial industry. So it's super easy for her to make six figures. I'm coming from science where I got a one thousand dollar a year raise when I got a master's degree. (laughs) Very, very different worlds, but I couldn't help myself comparing my my experience to her experience and kind of like think sitting there thinking like is there something wrong with me like does that mean what I do and what I offer isn't as valuable yeah as what she does and what she offers and that's a big piece of it right money is also tied up with Mm self-worth and our ideas of of our own intrinsic value are connected to our bank account or you know our our you know our outward appearance to the world when of course we know that's baloney when we think about it rationally But when we're just going on autopilot, right, that's kind of how we're, we're seeing things, right? If someone loses a job or they don't get the raise or they don't get the promotion, right? Like we tend to point our fingers internally, especially again, women, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And think, oh my gosh, that means I'm, I'm not as worthy, which is totally not true. Mm -hmm. 
And it's like, we know it's not true. This is what I'm random tangent again. This is what I love about this topic, though, is I feel like money as a topic and as a thing, there is so much. And maybe this seemed like a random topic to people when we first started, but there's so much personal growth and, and self-awareness and and like we're talking worthiness and value now. Like there is so much about ourselves that is tied up in how we view money. Yeah. It's mind blowing. Like, go ahead. Sorry. I looked. <laughs> no. And nobody teaches us how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Right. In my high school, they taught accounting, but they didn't teach personal finance. I know people who have MBAs who've never had a personal finance class. So nobody in school teaches us how to do this stuff. If it makes in you most- feel any better, I have a student that I tutor who is taking a personal finance class. Hooray! That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, most families don't talk about it openly, so we don't necessarily learn, and we don't have necessarily have good examples from our family, mm-hmm. and we're not allowed to talk about it with our friends, mm-hmm. right? Used to be you couldn't talk about sex or religion. Now we can talk about sex and religion and politics, but you can't talk about money. Mm-hmm. I hate the fact that I had credit card debt for my parents. I did not want to tell them. Right? Because it's all tied up in, in all this stuff. So I think that's one of the strategies, right? You mentioned tips. Find a money buddy. Find someone in your life that you can trust, that you can have open, totally get financially naked conversations with, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is where I am in in credit card debt. And, you know, share your goals, share what you're trying to accomplish, and then you can check in with each other. It's almost like an accountability partner. Like, Mm -hmm. ooh, you know, I found this thing, it's on sale, it's so awesome, it's really what I want. And then the accountability partner can be like, wait a minute, you were trying to knock down that credit card debt by, you know, next year. Oh, right. Thanks. You know, like Mm -hmm. just kind of having that safe space to share, share your struggles, share your concerns and your goals. I Mm -hmm. think that that can be really helpful. Do you have any advice for how to go about choosing that, that person, your, your money buddy? Because I feel like my first inclination of the person who I could share this with, who is a person that I am very open with. I am very like, we're very, very close. But it's also a person who she's the person who I was talking about with the comparison. Yeah. My first inclination was to choose her. But then the more I thought about it, maybe that's not the best option of somebody for me to choose. So do you have any advice around choosing your money buddy? I think it's all about the person as opposed to like what their financial situation is. Like if they're Mm -hmm. willing to get down and dirty with you and if it's not going to bother you that their goal is to save $50,000 and your goal is to save $5,000, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so I think it's, it's some of each, some kind of internally looking mm-hmm. to say, Ooh, is this going to make me feel bad if we're talking about different scales of numbers mm-hmm. or is this person kind of going to be, you know, mm-hmm. judging or belittling me because my goals are smaller than hers. Right. I think that might be a little bit of both, but if it's, it, it could be that you're both totally open to it and fine. Right. Like mm-hmm. it might, you know, bring your relationship to a whole deeper level too. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because as you were saying that, I'm kind of thinking, okay, well I could, with this person, I could say, you know, I am a little, maybe I have a little bit of shame around this because I'm comparing myself to you. And I could have that vulnerable conversation with this person. And we have enough of a great relationship where I could say like, I don't want you to try to fix me right now. As I'm telling you this, I just want you to know, yes, this is where I'm coming from. Yes, exactly. You want to be able to to talk about all that stuff that comes with it, all the emotions and what comes up for you and um, all that, like that's get to, like, totally getting financially naked, talking about all the stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. whatever it might be, you know, families get really weird with money or, you know, if there's an inheritance, oh my gosh, the stories are crazy, right? Like <laughs> you want to be able to, to have a safe space to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. So our, our main tips so far have been to get really, really clear on what your money beliefs are. Yeah. Um, whether that's through journaling or talking it out with someone um, to be very aware of where your money's going non-judgmentally yeah. and to find a money buddy. Yeah. Did you have any other tips? I think also, you know, taking an inventory. So like where your money is going is kind of the cash flow, right? Like dollars mm-hmm. in and dollars out. The other piece is like, what do you own and what do you owe? Right? Like the stuff you have, your bank account, any investments, retirement plans, whatever. And then, and then your debt right? Mm -hmm. Like write them all down. This credit card, this is the balance. This is how much I'm paying each month. This is the interest rate. Like 
write them all down. Student loans, it's super important to know, is it a federal loan? Is it a private loan? You know, what are the terms of the loan? All that different kind of stuff is super important. Um, and again, just to kind of take a snapshot of where you are so that number one, you know where everything is, mm -hmm. but also number two, then you can see your progress when you go forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I am very like, and maybe this doesn't work for some people. This is science brain, Ellen. But like I have, as I've been working through all of my stuff, like I have a spreadsheet that's got, it's got my, you know, my accounts, all of my accounts. It's got my credit cards. It's got, and this always, I'm, I'm glad you talked about retirement because this always reassures me. I never look at the money I've put aside um, from previous positions for retirement. And then when I do, it is so reassuring to know that I probably got like, I don't, I don't need to say my number, but I probably, I've got a fair amount of money set aside just from two jobs yep. that they had the option to remove some of your money and put it into, you know, your retirement account. And one of those jobs matched, yay for yep. universities. Yep. Like it, it's so reassuring to see that, that maybe that's something I need to add to yep. my spreadsheets. Like totally. I'm, not, I'm much better off than I think I am. <laughs> I mean, take it, take a, you know, a snapshot of your net worth, right? Mm -hmm. It's all the things you own minus all the things you owe. Mm -hmm. And for some people, especially, you know, younger folks with student debt, that might be a negative number. Mm -hmm. But if you track the progress from that, if you are able to put money into a retirement plan at work, a 401k or a 403b, especially if your company will match it, like you said, mm -hmm. employer matching dollars, right? That's free dollars. Like mm -hmm. always try to do that. Mm -hmm. And then you can see, okay, you know, I still have negatives up here, but then I, I am getting some more dollars there. Now, of course, it's different kinds of dollars. There are penalties if you access it before retirement, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. That's another subject. But your net worth includes all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad you talked about, like, the matching and that it's $3. I had a long kind of heated conversation with a friend of mine in graduate school over beer um, <laughs> about the fact that she, I was not in a position to take advantage of the employer matching in one of my jobs before I left that job. I'd worked there for less than a year, and they didn't match at that point. Yeah. She worked there for more than a year and she wasn't putting any money aside and she wasn't taking advantage of the matching. And I was just like, do you know how much I would kill to be able to do this? Like, even if it's 10 bucks, yeah. like they double that. They, yeah. they had a doubling, like a perfect match. It wasn't a percentage. Like they would dollar have doubled dollar. the amount that she was putting in every month. And I was just like, take advantage of that. Like it might seem like, Oh, that's 10 extra dollars in my paycheck now. But like from experience, the money I put aside in these previous jobs, like that has turned into thousands of dollars that is now accruing interest that I can use when I retire. Absolutely. Just Absolutely. Knowing that, like I'm better off than a lot of millennials are because I did that one thing yep. that just involved yep. checking a box on like a form. <laughs> exactly. I mean, not doing it is kind of like walking by a $20 bill in the parking lot on your way home from work. Uh -huh. Like, oh, I don't want that money. And no millennial would do that. I, right? just, I like I found a $20 bill on the ground on a Friday night in college and my friend and I went and bought pizza and beer like you right. would not do that. Exactly. <laughs> so don't, don't do it with your retirement plan. <laughs> yeah. So if you you know if you're working at a job with benefits just take some time to understand them all. What do you mm -hmm. have available to you. Sometimes you're paying for things you don't need mm -hmm. in the benefits department. Some things sometimes there's things you really should be doing mm -hmm. um, that you're not. So I think mm -hmm. it's worth worth taking a look at that even though it's not the most fun activity. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, benefits. Okay. So, um, I feel like we're, we've covered a lot of great tips. Um, and I love particularly on this topic, I feel like providing some sort of like educational materials or some of your favorite resources. I know there's a lot of online tools for tracking, like where your money's going. Do you have any favorites that you could recommend to people? Oh, you know, the, the tracking where your money's going, I think that's a really personal thing like some people love mint for example which mm -hmm. is one where you can connect all your accounts to it and it does it automatically um sometimes you know people just want to look at like their credit cards will give them a nice statement at the end of the year with a pie chart about where your money dot went mm -hmm. so for some people they want to like you know physically write it down in a book mm -hmm. i do i do believe that which is measured changes just by the fact that you're measuring it right i think that's like a scientific concept yeah um so paying attention to it and kind of getting into that habit in, in whatever way makes sense to you, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's a spreadsheet or, or one of these um, fancy apps. I've been using 
Quicken for a long time. I'm not saying it's the best. It's just what I've always used. Mm -hmm. And it categorizes things. Um, but then, you know, the other piece is using that information, right? I've got years of back information in Quicken, but I'm not necessarily looking in affirmatively going forward. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's the other piece of it. Um, so those are good tools. You know, there's, there's a cool tool. Um, I would say NerdWallet is good for kind of research on who do I need, um, you know, maybe I've got a savings account that's not paying me very much interest. Are there better paying savings accounts out there? Or mm. are there credit cards with lower interest rates that I could get? NerdWallet's good for all those kinds of comparisons, and they have a nice blog, too. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a, a, you know, a couple podcasts and, and bloggers that I like to follow. Um, there's one called Women Who Money. And they're nice because they kind of aggregate a bunch of different women finance bloggers. There's a whole bunch of people in the personal finance space doing blogs and podcasts and mm. YouTube videos and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a, a podcast called Beyond the Dollar with Sarah Lee Kane. She talks a lot about the emotional stuff around money. So mm. I really gravitate towards that. And then there's an awesome book called You Only Live Once. And it's very much about kind of that aligning your dollars and your values and getting clear on what you want out of life and then using your money according to that. So I really like that one too. Ooh, that one I feel like I'm going to download like right after yeah. this. Yeah, it's you really good. You only live once, that's what it was you called? You only live once, yep. Okay. Ooh, okay. Yeah, wonderful. And all the, all the resources kind of coming from different perspectives. We've got apps, we've got websites, we've got blogs, we've got podcasts, and we've got books. So whatever right. you guys are into, I feel like we've given you a resource that you can I go also have a a spreadsheet I'm happy to share that you could share with folks. It's like an inventory to kind of like the questions to ask about the different things you own and the different things you owe to like, you know, kind of just like get it all in one place. So I'm happy to share that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You guys will be able to find that uh, in the show notes for sure. Ah, thank you. I really appreciate sure. that. Okay. And then last random question that I just thought of um, before we get into my little rapid fire ones at the end. Um, so you obviously are a financial advisor. I always have the perspective when it comes to financial advisors, or I guess I struggle with this perspective of like, am I too young to hire a financial advisor? So from your perspective, are you ever too young or when is a good time to start thinking about hiring a financial advisor? Yeah, I think the first point is to get clear on what you want that advisor to do for you mm -hmm. because it's really kind of an issue in my industry. There's no really regulation about who can call themselves a financial advisor. And oh, what I did not they know that. Yeah, what services they offer for that. I mean, there's different licenses, but still, like, lots of people can call themselves an advisor. If they are mostly, you know, a life insurance salesperson, they can call themselves a financial advisor. If they only provide, like, hourly financial planning, project-based, they can still call themselves a financial advisor. So there's a whole huge spectrum. And then people sometimes call themselves wealth managers or financial planners or, you know, there's a billion things people can call themselves. So I think... The key is to know what do you want out of the relationship? Like, what are you trying to get? Do you have dollars that you need to invest and you, you're clueless on how to do it and you want someone to do that for you? That's one type of engagement. Do you have student loan debt you're trying to get your arms around and you want someone to help you really understand that and come up with strategies on how to deal with it? That's another thing, right? Mm -hmm. Do Like I talked to a woman last night. She wants to know if she's on track for retirement. So we're gathering all her info. We're putting it all in. I've got some software that does that. And then we're going to look at our investments and see if that's on track. Like that's another type of engagement. So mm -hmm. I've got millennial clients, right? They have various questions, whether, you know, sometimes it's a debt question. Sometimes it's a, um, you know, I had this old retirement plan from work from before. What should I do with it? Or, you know, I just had kids. Do I need life insurance? That like, it's all about what your questions are. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. And then obviously like, and you'll have, we'll just do this now, actually. If people are just vibing with you and feel like you would be a good resource for them to go ask these questions to, where can they find you online? Sure. So my website is Sophia, it's S-O-F-I-A, not P-H, sophiafinancial.com. And there's a little button on there to book a free 20-minute call. I'm happy to talk to anybody and give them some guidance. It's not a sales pitch disguise, right? I try to add some value and, and give mm -hmm. direction. Um, and you know, there's a blog on there. I'm on... I'm not on Instagram yet. I need to do that. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Sophia Financial. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. I feel like you're, you're a wealth of knowledge and you've always given us, are already given us so many great resources. So I really appreciate that. I'm really interested in checking out 
the resources you offered and the and the spreadsheet you mentioned. Um, I feel like all of this is going to be great. Um, before we wrap up today, this is a new question that I've started asking some of the guests that have come on. Obviously, this is a personal growth oriented podcast. We're both definitely in, in agreement that our, you know, money beliefs and stuff play into this topic of personal growth. But for you, what does growth mean to you? Oh, ooh, I think I struggle with this one because I'm definitely, you know, a recovering perfectionist and kind of a self-basher and I feel like I've been on this path for a while, this kind of growth path. I feel like, I guess growth is, as opposed to being kind of an upward, like you think of a tree growing or I think of mm -hmm. my money growing in an upward, to me it's almost more of an inward thing, mm -hmm. kind of getting more centered in myself and more comfortable with who I am, right? More comfortable in my own skin mm -hmm. and, you know, just kind of putting that person out there in the world in an authentic way, because when I do do that, I get great results. Um, but it's still, it's not my default. So I mm -hmm. think that, I guess that's my definition. I love that. Yeah. Coming from the perspective of authenticity. Wonderful. Sure. Oh, so beautiful. I love that. Um, that's actually one of my values as well. So um, I, I can totally resonate with that as a definition of growth. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for all of the tips, all of the insights you offered. This is going to be a hugely valuable podcast for people. I can't wait to hear what the response is like. And who knows, maybe we'll have you on here again. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> thank you so much. You're welcome. It was super fun. But before you go, one last thing. I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Growth Tribe, and thank you so much for your support. If you've been enjoying what you're hearing and you want to help me and all of our wonderful guests get their message out, there are a few things you could do. You could send an episode that you really love to a friend that you really think would appreciate it. You could subscribe and give us a five-star review on iTunes, or you could take a screenshot and post it in your Instagram or Facebook story. I love stories, and I would love nothing more than the opportunity to shout you out and send you a massive thank you. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Growth Tribe.